0: Good morning and welcome to Morning Devotions. Our purpose of coming into your home every day with daily devotions is to grow your faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've always been a big believer in daily devotions since I got born again because of my grandfather's discipline and my grandfather's life. Every morning I'd go up to grandpa's house four o'clock in the morning, grandpa would be sitting there in his chair reading his Bible out loud to grandma and praying and sometimes he would get going and pray for an hour, hour and a half. He just loved to pray, sit there in his chair, fold his hands and just love to pray. Some of my favorite memories as a young man called to the ministry, just a baby Christian. But then there was a day when Sister Bev and I were on our way to Asia, just a couple of kids, 23 years old, and we were staying in the Hong Kong hotel there near the Star Ferry. We just finished up some meetings in the church that Uncle Lester had started in Hong Kong. And I looked at the offering. I'd left America with $500 cash, and there were no credit cards in those days. And now I was down to $300 and on my way to the Philippines. And I remember laying down on the floor next to the bed so I wouldn't disturb Sister Bev, and I was crying. I said, God, I don't know how to take care of my wife. I, I don't know what to do. Did you bring me out here to, to just, Famish and die. And laying there on the floor next to the bed, God reminded me of an old quote of my uncle Lester. And he had said it many times to me as a young man, feed your faith and starve your doubts to death. And it again, renewed in me a desire to read my Bible every day. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, right now, my friends, you're hearing, oh my goodness, from everywhere. And it's a little panicky. Lots of words of fear out there. Because remember, the world is without God and without hope. But you are not without God. And you are not without hope. Let's feed our faith. I want to start every day with Psalms chapter 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, this is my confession of faith out of the abundance of my heart. I will say to the Lord, my God, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will deliver you from coronavirus. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness the coronavirus that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed, ah, shall be allowed to befall you. No plague, no coronavirus, come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adler the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, just because, just because you hold fast to him in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Seniors. Oh my goodness, everybody's saying, well, you know, young people do all right, but the coronavirus is really killing off the seniors. Coronavirus is not gonna kill us off. I'm a senior too. With long life, God will satisfy us. So my friends, please, let the fear leave your heart. Put your faith in God. Let's open up our hearts and spend some time now in worship. It's so important that we have real worship filling our hearts. It's so important. This is why we don't sing secular songs in church. In times like this, your heart needs to be full of faith. I'm sorry, singing I Did It My Way, a Frank Sinatra song, is not going to get you through this crisis. And, you know, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but we sing the word. Worship is to God about God. When we sing, oh, God, my life is hard, and oh, God, you made my life better, that's a sweet thing, but right now, you need to be singing to God, like Psalms 91, you, God. It's what we say to God. Let faith come out of your heart. Father, we come to you today. We're walking in ways we've never walked before, but we know you're with us. We're doing things we've never done before, but we know that you're with us. We're hearing about things here in our own beloved land and around the world that we thought we'd never hear with our ears. But God, you've never failed us. You've never forsaken us. God, there are many times through the years that we walk through difficult times. But Lord, every time you were there, every time you delivered us, every time you strengthened us, every time you gave us guidance and wisdom, as we walk through this situation, Father, Let your hand be upon every father, every mother, every young person, showing them exactly how to walk through these days, to walk in the strength and the power of the Spirit, giving them guidance. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, you promised no sickness, no plague shall come near our homes. Let there be a shield over every home. You promised that the plague shall not come near us. Father, we ride around in the jeeps and the buses. I thank you that you've given your angels charge concerning us. They stand between us and the plague. And I thank you, Father, for your hand of protection upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to start reading today. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just finished the temptation. And all we do every day is just read the Bible together. So... You know, we're not trying to preach or something, we're just trying to read the Bible. And if you've never joined us in this, sometimes you hear me saying, oh, I'm going to put a question mark there. I don't know what that means, because we're all still learning. The Bible is a living book, and the way you learn is to ask questions. Let's pick up with verse 14. And Jesus returned, following the temptation of the wilderness, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now, I want you just to notice, he didn't return in brokenness and weakness. There's all this teaching today. Everybody wants to be broken. God doesn't break people. God puts people back together. Jesus wasn't broken by temptation. Jesus wasn't broken by this, forgive me, 40-day encounter with Satan where Satan did everything he could to bring him down. Jesus wasn't broken. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Please, never think a season of temptation is going to weaken you. You will return in the power of the Spirit. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. People were talking about Jesus. And he taught in their synagogues. Now, it's always interesting. It's called their synagogues. I kind of underlined the concept there. It's not his synagogues. Their synagogues. The synagogue system, you have to understand, was never designed by God. This was designed as a man-made religious expression that came up during the intertestamental period when there was no open revelation, no open voice of God between the prophet Malachi and this present time that we're reading here about John the Baptist and Jesus. So in that 400 years, sometimes we call it the Hasmonean dynasty period, in that 400 years, they developed their own expression of religion. God laid out the tabernacle system. God laid out the Davidic worship system. Man laid out the synagogue system. So God never claims it as his synagogue. Now the temple, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. God claims the temple, but he said, this is your synagogue. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now that's an important truth. If you go over just a few verses to verse 23, the people say, do here in your hometown, do here in your hometown. They called it, Jesus, this is your hometown. Now that's fascinating to me. He's born in Bethlehem. He spent probably the first 10 or 11 years of his life in Egypt, probably in Alexandria, though we do not know. And now he's back here and he's 30 plus years old. And they say, this is your hometown. So I wonder how long does it take for something to become our hometown? They they claimed him as their own, even though he didn't come there until he was a preteen. They claimed him as their own. Where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. Jesus still worshiped God every day. Jesus studied the Bible. He was in synagogue on Shabbat every week. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place. Now, it's very interesting to notice he found the place. He, he didn't just unroll it and the old what's called the Moravian method, where people kind of go like this with their Bible And um, that is their guidance that day, that verse. Whatever my finger touches, that is my guidance that day. He he didn't go out and, oh, let's see, let me see, what's God's guidance? What does God say about me? And put his finger on a verse. He found the place where it was written. Now, sometimes you need to find the places in the Bible where it's written about you and what God expects from you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Isn't it interesting? Jesus was not the builder of a rich people's church. He said, I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. I, I've i been watching guys want to, quote, evangelize the rich and build rich people's churches all of my life here in the Philippines. I'm sorry. I will never do that. I will never be a part of that. When we are anointed by the Spirit, we are anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, oppressed, oppressed of the devil. He went on doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Set them at liberty, sickness, bondages, alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography, people who are oppressed by sin, Satan, and sickness. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I had to be careful or I'll preach through this passage because I've preached it so much in my life. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But now it's fascinating to me is when you look back in Isaiah, you see he stops because the next passage says, and the day of judgment of our God. Wow. To proclaim the year of God's favor. This is, this whole church age that we're living in right now is a season of the favor of of God upon the world. This is, this is God showing favor to the world. This is not a, a season of judgment that will come and was called the Great Tribulation, but this is the season of God's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. <laughs> and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. I I can imagine he's he's honored as a rabbi. Okay, he's he's honored as a rabbi. We don't know that he ever studied in Jerusalem. In fact, we probably, he probably did not. But in this small little barrio called Nazareth, where he had grown up, he'd probably done this many times. In this small little town of Nazareth, 70 to 100 people, small little synagogue, just a few men present. He had probably, as a young man, taught there a lot. Now, something is different. He says, let me tell you who I am. And all their eyes were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He goes to his own hometown, where he had no doubt taught in the synagogue many Shabbats. And he says, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now notice, the change that is about to take place, all spoke well of him. And they marveled at the gracious words, gracious words that came from his mouth. Sometimes I tell young pastors, you you need more gracious words and less judgmental words. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself what we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, and there were many, uh, many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now, notice a couple of things here. Notice ministry is determined by reception and not by source. Let me say that again. Ministry is determined by reception and not by source. These people had their understanding blocked by natural truth. Natural truth, this is Joseph and Mary's son. His brothers and sisters are among us. Natural truth blocked their understanding of spiritual truth. And the same thing happens in our lives today. There's a beautiful truth that God wants to show us, but our natural minds cannot comprehend that there's something greater than the natural truth that we're seeing here. There are many people, they they see this virus as all-powerful because everybody acts like it's all-powerful. But you forget all through the scripture, God has stopped the plagues. God puts an angel between the plague and his people. You forget that Jesus in Luke 7 healed people of plagues. There is a spiritual truth that is higher than natural truth. There are spiritual laws that are higher than natural laws. Now, sometimes people look at me and they say, oh, Pastor Somewhere, you're just a pastor. You're not a man of science. Anybody who knows me knows how I grew up. Very logical, very much a man of science. I'm the kind of a guy that, you know, in high school, I would read chemistry books for light reading. All right. I mean, I've always been a person of science and logic. But very early, I discovered that there's laws higher. And I have to see past the the natural things to see the spiritual things. They couldn't see past the little boy who they helped off the ground when he skinned his knee. They couldn't see past the little boy whose sister tormented him. His little sister tormented him and teased him in the marketplace. They couldn't see past those natural things to see the truth of who he was. Look past the natural things and see spiritual truth. But I also want you to notice the knowledge that Jesus had of Scripture. He stands there before these people and it just flows out of him. See, sometimes you and I think, you know, well, of course that's true because he's God. Well, yes, he's fully God, but he's fully man. Jesus had studied the scriptures from such a young age. That's why, remember, we read the other day people were astounded at his questions and his understanding at the age of 12. Jesus studied the scriptures. This just just comes out of him naturally. He doesn't have to go back and study something and come up with something to say. It just flows out of him. Now, when they heard these things, where he's talking about foreigners, not Jews, when they heard these things in the synagogue, they were all filled with wrath. Now, brothers and sisters, prejudice is an ugly thing. Not only does prejudice fill you with illogic, but but prejudice causes you to not even understand truth. He's giving them incredible truth. He's trying to share with them that reception if they would change their attitude toward him, more people could be healed. He's trying to teach that to them by showing them people that did not know Elisha and Elijah, people who didn't live with them every day, found it very easy to receive from them. But all they could do is focus on the prejudice that Jesus was talking about foreigners. When they heard these things, all of the synagogue were filled with wrath all through jesus's days all through paul's days you start mentioning gentiles and the jews got angry even though they were to take the truth to the gentile world now let me apply this in our own lives a little bit right now some of you are going to miss a lot of miracles in your life because you're prejudiced now most of you you figured who i am i'm pinoy i'm just albino there's going to be like A Chinese evangelist that will come through one day and you're going to look at him and you're going to remember coronavirus and you're going to remember POGOs and you're going to remember all this stuff and you're not going to receive because you're so busy looking at natural. My friends, with God, there's no prejudice. God looks at everybody the same. In fact, if you go through the New Testament, you you find everybody pastoring someplace where they didn't come from, maybe because of some of these rules. And they rose up and drove him out of the town. Now notice, just a little bit ago, all spoke well of him, verse 22. And now verse 29, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, Mount Precipice, so that they could throw him down the cliff. Now, if you've been with us to Israel and gone to Mount Precipice, first of all, it's a hard walk up. But my goodness, it's a straight fall down to your death. They came to kill Jesus that day. And the reason they wanted to kill him is he touched on their prejudice. They hated him. They wouldn't give up their prejudice to hear truth. It's amazing. So that they could throw him down the cliff, but passing through their midst, he went away. (laughs) Forgive me, but I always love that verse. It's one of the verses that got me saved. Now you say, Pastor Summer, how did that verse get you saved? And I always sit down and remember this in my devotions. A young boy sitting in his dormitory room, Troy, Alabama. And I would bought a Bible on the sly and hid it under my mattress. I'd been to a truth concert and I'd heard them sing the gospel. And my heart was so convicted and God was dealing with me. And every night when nobody was in my dorm room, I'd pull out the Bible and I'd just read the gospels over and over and over again. And I fell in love with Jesus. But first I was impressed with Jesus. Because, again, I was not saved, very carnal. As a carnal young boy, I looked at Jesus and said, well, would you look at this? He didn't kawawa, he didn't cry, he didn't say, oh, don't hurt me. He just turned and walked through the middle of them. He was a man. Wow. See, as a young unsaved boy, that got my attention. This was a man I could follow. Jesus didn't kawawa and cry, oh, life is so hard. He just turned to the crowd and faced them and walked right back through the middle of them. He didn't run around the outside of them. He didn't run away and try to get away. They took him to the edge to throw him off. He turns and faced them, walked right back through the middle of them. Jesus never walked in fear. That was the purpose of my little story. Jesus never walked in fear. He walked in authority. Young men, this is a man that you can follow. Verse 31, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. We've been there many times with our tours. And he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now, the word there for authority has nothing to do with your strength or your ability. It has to do with your right to do something. Like right now, all across the city, there are checkpoints being set up. A guy stands there and holds up his hand. He can't stop the Jeep. He can't stop the bus. The bus could run right over the top of him. He doesn't, he's not Superman. He can't stand there like Spider-Man or Superman and hold the bus back. But the guy just stands there and raises his hands because he has the right to do it. Now, notice, they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. He taught as one who had the right to teach. There are many self-called, self-proclaimed preachers out there today and the words are so shallow and the words are such dribble. And then when a true man of God, a true woman of God comes along and they begin to teach, people recognize the difference. Here's somebody who has the right to teach. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out in a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Now, I like that. Now, there's spiritual authority. Here is Jesus standing in front of a guy demon-possessed. He's not afraid. The demon is afraid. Now, you you just need to get a hold of that a little bit. The demon is afraid. Have you come to destroy us before the time? (laughs) I I love it. (laughs) I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't that amazing? Demons knew who Jesus was, but the people that Jesus grew up with in Nazareth did not know who he was. Demons could see past his physical form to the reality of who he was. Demons could see past the natural but the people he grew up with couldn't see past the natural. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon was thrown him down in their midst, he came out, having done him no harm. I like that, having done him no harm. When you cast out demons, there should be no harm done. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now, most of the time, Jesus encouraged that. There's a few times we'll see as we read through the New Testament that he does not. But if you wonder why people came from everywhere, if you wonder why lepers would come to him, if you wonder why a woman would crawl, I could just touch the hem of his garment. if If you wonder why blind men would cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. It's because the news have gone out. We need to be more proactive telling people how wonderful Jesus is. It creates hope in people's hearts. All right, let's spend some more time in worship. Welcome back, and let's get into Numbers chapter 31 now. Now, please remember our context. Uh, the people of Israel have just attacked the Midianites. The five kings of the Midianites have been killed. Uh, Balaam has been killed, this guy who God would not allow him to curse the people of Israel. So, he taught the Midianites and the others how to bring God's judgment against them by getting them in compromise and sin. So, Balaam has been killed, the five Midianite kings have been killed, and now all the battles are over, and we pick up in verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, take the count of the plunder that was taken, both man and beast. Now take a count, take the count. Notice, for all of you CPAs, God loves good bookkeeping. Now Sometimes I teach this to young pastors and say, go through the scriptures. God likes good bookkeeping, so he says, Take the count of the plunder that was taken, both man and beast, you and Eliezer the priest and the heads of the fathers' houses of the congregation, and divide the plunder into two parts, between the warriors who went out to battle and all the congregation, and levy for the Lord a tribute from the men of war who went out to battle, one of a 500, and of the people, and of the oxen, and of the donkeys, and of the flocks take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a contribution to the Lord. And from the people of Israel's half, you shall take one drawn from every 50 of the people, of the oxen, the donkeys, the flocks, and of all the cattle, and give them to the Levites who keep guard over the tabernacle of the Lord. And Moses and Eleazar the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses." Now notice, this was all separated and set aside for God and for God's work before Anything else was done. Now, this is why I always teach you when it comes to our offerings and our tithes, we separate those things before we do anything else. Or one of the reasons I teach you that. Verse 22. Now, the plunder remaining from the spoil that the army took was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all, women who had not known a man by lying with him. And the half, the portion of those who had gone out with the army numbered 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. And the cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. And the donkeys, 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. The Lord gave the tribute, which was the contribution for the Lord to Eleazar the priest, the high priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. From the people of Israel's half, which Moses separated from that of the men who had served in the army. Now the congregation's half was 337,000 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. And from the people of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50th, both of the persons and of the beasts, and gave them to the Levites who kept guard over the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of the thousands, the commanders of hundreds came near Moses and said to Moses, your servants have counted the men of war who were under our command. And there is not a man missing from among us. Now, did you notice that? Not a man missing from among us. They went to war. And because God was with them, not a single man died. Ah. And we have brought the Lord's offering. What each man found, articles of gold, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and beads, to make atonement for ourselves before God. They came to say, Lord, nobody died. Now, those of you that have never been in the military, you don't understand what a miracle this is. But the military men know that when you go into battle, men die. So the fact that nobody died, these men said, God, we want to come and say thank you. So they brought an offering. And they presented to the Lord from the commanders of the thousands, the commanders of the hundreds, was 16,750 shekels. The men in the army had each taken plunder for himself. And Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tent of meeting as a memorial for the people of Israel before the Lord. Chapter 32, verse 1. Now, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. (laughs) Now notice, why did they have all this livestock? They had this plunder. And evidently they were very good at raising livestock and the livestock continued to multiply. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazzer and the land of Gilead and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So notice, they put their heart on something that was good for their business. Now let me say that again. They put their heart on something that was good for business. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and, and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, Athroth, Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Ilalah, Sibam, Nebo, and Beon. The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is the land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. Now, brothers and sisters, before you think that this is, you know, logical, okay? They they saw something that was good for their livestock. They've been wandering for 40 years. This is a good place to live. This is good ground. This is good land for for grazing our cattle and grazing our sheep. I want you to remember God never said to stay there. God said to go into the promised land. Now you'll begin to understand Moses' problem. And Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them up from Kedish Barnea to see the land. And when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord God had given them. Now, I want you to notice twice it says, discourage their hearts. Every time God leads his people into doing a great project, It seems there are these 10 spies, it seems that there are these people who who put their desires for businesses and their desire for what's good for them ahead of everybody else. Now let me say that again, two kinds of people, people who are afraid and people who have personal agendas. Every building program we've ever done, every great project we will ever do for God, there's always two groups of people who discourage the hearts of the people. One, a group of people who have personal agendas, they see something that's good for their business and they want that rather than what God wants, and people who have become afraid. Now you just have to learn that when people start discouraging your heart from something that God has called us as a body to do, you just need to go, wait a minute, is this because they're afraid? I can understand this. Is this because they have their own personal agenda? Because something is good for their business? and it's not part of helping us achieve this goal, that's a different matter. Verse 10, And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Now, Notice that phrase, wholly followed me. They partly followed God, but not wholly followed God. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kesanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Oh, my brothers and sisters, may we have the hearts of Joshua and Caleb. May we never have a heart that partly follows God. May we have a heart that's wholly dedicated to following God. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. I said, what are you doing? For if you turn away from following him, He will again abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all this people. He looks at these guys who are discouraging the hearts of the people because of their own selfish agenda, because of their own personal business interest. And he looks at them and he says, you're going to bring the Lord's anger against the whole the whole group, the whole group. You're going to discourage their hearts. They're going to miss the will of God. And it's your fault. You're the cause of this. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms and be ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel have gained his inheritance for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has come to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. Now, that was not God's plan, but that's what they wanted. So Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for war, and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then after that, you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. Now notice, that's a scary thought. You'll be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. I don't ever want to be free of obligation to the Lord and to the people that God has called me to be a part of. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you will not do it, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. One of the most quoted scriptures about sin comes from here. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what you have promised. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben said to Moses, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will pass over every man who is armed for war before the Lord to battle as my Lord orders.'" So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, if the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed to battle before the Lord will pass over before, over the Jordan and the land shall be subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they will not pass over with you armed They shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. Now notice, in the land of Canaan. So there's two different choices here. And the people of Gad and the people of Reuben answered, what the Lord has said to your servants, we will do. We will pass over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan. And the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us beyond the Jordan. And Moses gave to them, to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben and to the half tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Shehan, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and the land and its cities with its territories, the cities of the land throughout the country. And the people of Gad built Dibon, Athra, Arar, athra Jazer, Jugbaha, Beth-Mera, and Beth-Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the people of Reuben built Heshbon, Elia, Kirilitham, Nebo, and Balmion, their names were changed, and Shibmah, And they gave other names to the cities they built. And the sons of Becher, the son of Manasseh went into Gilead and captured it, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. And Moses gave Gilead to Machir, son of Manasseh, and he settled in it. And Jaar the son of Manasseh went and captured their villages, and called them Havoth Jaar. And Naboth went and captured Kenath and his villages, and called it Naboth, after his own name. Father, as your people go to work today, let your shield, let the shield of God be around them. You promise to be their shield. Lord, as they get on the Jeeps, as they get on the buses, as they interact with people in their offices, Father, I know personal distancing is a big word right now, but Lord, be a shield. Personal distance won't take care of this. You are a shield to them. You are their refuge. Father, watch over them. Let no sickness come near them. Let no virus come near them. Let it die as it travels toward them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow.